Welcome, welcome to another episode of the At Last Podcast, but the first episode of the At Last Podcast live. Thank you for joining us. For those who have come through, we're glad you're here. This podcast will eventually be recorded and we'll throw it up on on the, uh, the usual outlets, but we are glad that you guys have joined us to be a part of the process. You get a little behind the scenes of what things are like um, as we are recording. We're glad you're here. We got a great guest with us as usual, and I'll let Adam introduce our guest for today. Yeah, I'm excited to introduce this individual. Um, we have the Senior Director of Sports Medicine and Performance of the Los Angeles Rams, Reggie Scott. Reggie also serves as the PFAT's president. He graduated from West Virginia as well as California University of Pennsylvania. He has served in the NFL for, I think, 20 years. Reggie can tell us later, but close to that. Um, also with the Carolina Panthers and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But, of course, we would like to rep L.A., so um, Rams up. Welcome, uh, Kristen. And, Chris, help me welcome Reggie, please. Reggie. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Appreciate you, man. Nice. I'm super excited to be here with y'all boys. Yes. Be glad to have you, sir. Glad to have you. Uh season season just ended. Like season just ended. Uh we in uh I mean it's crazy. March, March already's here. So we're uh we're about obviously we got a nice little run in the playoffs, so that was nice. It was really nice. Yep, congrats. Around. So got extended time in the season. So we got done obviously mid mid January. But yeah, man, we're about six to eight weeks post postseason right now. That's good. That's good. Are you enjoying that? You enjoying that time? I am. I am. It's nice. It's different, right? You know, you get your weekends back. Um, try to I'm a I'm a golfer, so I try to get out there and hit, ah, hit nice hit the ball a little bit when I can and spend some time with my family, which is, which is awesome too. So it is refreshing to kind of regroup, reflect. I like that about athletic training with sports, right? You got, you got the end season, you got the out of season. So you almost like got two different lives, two different worlds. So it's, it's, it's a nice little change. Adam and Christian, y'all golf? Not as well as Reggie. I've seen Reggie golf. Oh, have you? I like to golf, but you got to play a lot to be a good golfer. At least I need to play a lot to be a good golfer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I go, I go to the driving range um, uh, and I hit probably about 45 balls and then get frustrated and leave. <laughs> Most uh, goes for a lot of people. Yeah. I took, a, I took a golf class in college. That's about it. I did too. Well, good, man. Well, we look, let's, let's dive in. Just, uh, we, we're excited to have Reggie. So Reggie, why don't we, we're just going to, we're going to talk in narrative form, man. Let's, let's share some stories this morning. I think that's a good, that'll be our, our good approach for today. So um, I'm curious and I'm sure all of our listeners are too, but can you, can you talk to us about your journey into the field of athletic training, starting back as early as you can remember, um, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, talk to us about that. No, nah, that's 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 good. That's good. So just like anything growing up, um, I'm an East Coast cat from Delaware. I'm probably the first cat you met from Delaware. Yes. Um, 100 percent. Yeah. The first one. 
Where's Delaware? Delaware, that's that little tiny, it's like a little state, right? The first state. Yeah. 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 She's mid Atlantic. She, she's around Philly, Baltimore, DC. People a lot of times say I'm from Delaware. They're like, oh, you're around Maine and New Hampshire. I'm like, nah. So I have learned enough to know you said Baltimore, not Baltimore. Oh, yeah. That's that's how we talk. <laughs> Baltimore. Yeah. So that's how you know a real one. Because coming from the West Coast, apparently I learned that we have accents too, right? So I'm like, oh, this cat's from Baltimore. And they're like, who are you? And I'm like, no, it's Baltimore. I'm like, All right, go ahead. So from Delaware. Another thing to you here is water. Instead of water, I'll say water a lot of times. Do you hear people say that? We say water instead of water. But I actually changed that because I've been out of Delaware so long. I started saying water because everybody used to laugh at me. Like, why do you say water? <laughs> so you say soda pop or Coke? Uh, I don't say. I, I say soda. Soda. Yeah. Yeah. Pop, pop is like a Midwest thing because I was in St. Louis. People say pop all the time. Oh, too. My folks down in Louisiana, they're like pop. Yep. 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 So he says, all right. So, so in Delaware, so yep. Delaware, growing up, uh, obviously, um, you know, really at the end of the day, didn't have any understanding in terms of about the athletic training field that much growing up. Obviously, played sports, baseball player, basketball player. Um, what type of neighborhood did you live in, Reggie? Um, you know, my neighborhood I grew up was predominantly black. I would say called 80 20. My school's about 60, 40, 60% black, 40% white. So pretty nice mix. And where I was from, um, pretty, pretty, pretty balanced place. You know what I mean? I was, I mean, it was basically like the school, 60, 40. Um, parents, obviously my pops um, um, did not go to college. He worked in a correctional, he's a correctional officer, worked in a prison. Um, my mom uh, obviously did get her college education when she was the first generation college education, which was awesome at Delaware State University, HBCU. Oh, yep. And she worked in the um, and she worked for the state of Delaware in the state and um, human resources uh, department. Um, they they separated at 12. So obviously I bounced back and forth kind of really much was with my mom. My dad was still involved, very heavily involved, but obviously weren't together. Grew up from there pretty much. And I have one sister who was probably one of the key components in my life in terms of just uh, teaching me what I call the, uh, teach me how to be tough, if you will. She actually, she used to beat up her boyfriend. She was so tough. She's a, she's mm. a tough little nut. So, older sister, older sister. I'm older assuming. sister yep. taught me the ways. And so obviously grinding, playing sports. Um, and just like all of us probably growing up, man, just sports was everything to me. Um, and, and that's, that was my driving force to kind of want to do that. And I wanted to, you know, school was important. I did school. It's funny, man, Bates, when you think about school, when I was in high school, I did my schoolwork to pass to move on. I w I didn't I didn't learn. You know what I mean? I yeah. Well, I was my mom. Hey, you gotta do you gotta do good in school, and you gotta get good grades. I wasn't taught to hey learn. Yeah. And funny, I've, I've come full circle with my kids. It's nice. We don't do school to do school. We do school to learn. Yep. That's your first nugget right there. I didn't yeah. do that growing up. And anyway, so as I got I got older, obviously I wanted to go to college, but I was going to college to play baseball. I mean, that was my goal. I I I had was got that your main. That was your main sport, baseball. Main sport, yeah, yeah. Basketball, little second. I just wasn't good enough in basketball. I love basketball, but I was just okay. Baseball was kind of my main sport. Okay. Did get hurt my senior year. Okay, dislocated my patella at a, actually at a little AAU kind of uh, the the Baltimore Orioles came down. They had this little host camp that they were looking at prospects. And I actually dislocated my, my patella at that point in time. And when I dislocated my patella, I had to get surgery. I got a lot of release done. And I started getting rehab, getting ready before I went to college. And that was my first interaction with um, sports medicine, athletic training, rehab. Mm. I was athletic trainer at a small little sports medicine clinic there in Dover. 
And I never forget, it was at that moment that when I went through that process, this guy got me back from point A to point B back on the field. I was so indebted into that person. I was like, man, this dude, man, he, I mean, I was in my most vulnerable state. Yeah. He got me back to playing again. I was just like, I want to do that for somebody one day. I mean, for what he did for me and how I felt for him, it really sparked that interest in me, how, you know, that caregiving component to what we do today. Um, that's when I got my first little inclination of, wow, what is that? Let me slow down the train a little bit. Yeah. So, and prior to you having your injury, mm -hmm. when you had the injury, when the injury actually happened, what did you, did you think, what, what was going through your mind in terms of, getting back to playing again or like, what was that process like? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, when I initially did it, I mean, you, you're, you think life's over. Um, you, you realize really quickly what a vulnerable state that is. I mean, it, I mean, I heard a loud pop, I looked down, I had a huge gross deformity in my knee. I don't, you know, now we're all talking about athletic trains. We get it. But like, you got to think I'm a 17 year old kid thinking, my life's, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to walk again, you know? Yeah. And you had no, you had no understanding or awareness of any kind of rehab professionals at that time either. None. Right. Okay. So that probably, would you say that that doubled the F or doubled the reality for you or made it exacerbated the reality? Like no. there's literally no way I'm coming back from this. No doubt. I mean, come on. When I was coming up through high school, you're talking about your, your head, your head coaches of your, your sports would tape your ankles and stuff. Right. So after the training really wasn't there. And so, um, exactly. It just, I thought it was over and you're talking about crushing, right? Cause I'm in the peak here. I'm about to try to get some college looks. I'm, you know, looking, and I'm just like, are you kidding me? And I was actually having a pretty good day. So very, very vulnerable state. So when this guy got me back to, back to playing, I mean, I felt like, you know, this guy was a savior yeah. and it really, really, I never, that, that was probably the first key of, Hey, wow. I would love to be that for people one day, you know? Um, so when I, so then obviously coming out of high school, um, West Virginia did recruit me a little bit for, um, for, for baseball. So, Hey, you can come here, um, and, and play. And basically, um, they gave me a small little scholarship for my books, but I wasn't like a high prospect and really in baseball, there's not a lot of high recruits unless you're a pitcher or something like that. But I'm like, Hey, I'm gone. It was a division one, division one, um, offer I'm gone. So I'm going there and I did want to major in sports medicine because of what this, with this, my experience there. So I said, I want to major in sports medicine, not really knowing West Virginia at the time, if they had a really good program to this day, if we know they had a phenomenal program. So I really, I was blessed to fall into this, but as I, when I go there, so my freshman year, I get there and I'm kind of doing both. And I realized quickly, um, so after my first year, the coach comes to me and, and a lot of, believe it or not, a lot, of, a lot of systemic racism happened on that baseball team during that first year. Me and another guy went through it. But after my first year- Hold on, 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 hold on. Just got some jokes, boys. Let's squeeze that, let's squeeze that a little bit. Yeah. You, you said, so you, you and a guy got into it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the head coach. So, so there was two, there was two, two, um, well, actually one, one Hispanic and me. So two minorities on this baseball team. And this is the first minority in the baseball team for a while, for a while. Matter of fact, I think it was only one other at West Virginia university that I know of. And, um, and you gotta remember, it's funny. You guys, if you, if you notice college baseball, college baseball probably in the last five to 10 years have really started to get a little more diverse, but, um, back in the day, it was not a diverse sport. 
Nope. Adam and I went to Cal State Fullerton. Oh. Big time baseball pro. I, I usually can think of um one black player on all the baseball teams I've worked with. No doubt. That's a lot too. Who was who was the black player when we were at Cal State Fullerton though? Uh Chris Davis. I think he's still in the major leagues. Nice. Okay. So there you go. Cal State Fullerton's a great, great program. Yep. So um and so it's funny when I was going through that, there was a lot of it was both me and him both. Uh we felt a lot of various subliminal messaging, things of that nature, you could feel that it was just like, man, the opportunities we were getting and the things that we were trying to move on and try to do and, and hey, you guys are great base runners. You guys can be, you know, you guys can run fast for us. We'll put, you know, you could feel the little things. You're just like, huh? Yeah. Willie Mays Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then after the first year, believe it or not, um, they had a recruit transfer from Alabama. Alabama, good program. Coming to West Virginia, not as a good program, but hey, Reg, we think you should transfer out and go to a JUCO spot to get more playing time because you're not going to get playing time for the next two years. There's a little small school called Pot State, which Potomac State, which was a small school that was a feeder school to West Virginia. And I'm like, I just got here. I just did a year. And now you're going to bump me out. I'm not going to play anymore. And and I obviously felt the way I felt in a lot of different other areas with the, with with this head coach. So I'm at my crossroad. I'm going to keep playing. Or do I want to do this athletic training thing? Because at that point in time, I start understanding athletic training at West Virginia and really realizing this is a really good program. And crossroad, big crossroad, chase this baseball thing or steer left, stay at West Virginia and ride and stay there. And um, and that was the biggest part of the decision in my life that I made at that point in time. I said, hey done with baseball and move on, stay here at West Virginia University and, and, and do this thing called athletic training and decided to stay, stop baseball and really got into, um, got into what's called a prospective student athletic trainer program, which is basically a prerequisite to get into the school of athletic training there. You got to apply, you got to get in. And when I started doing all the prerequisites for it, start doing obviously the, the basics, um, athletic training classes, the basic anatomy stuff, I caught fire. Yeah. Um, I've never been more interested in the human body. I've never been more intrigued. Um, I couldn't stop learning about it. I couldn't stop studying about it. I mean, I just turned into a nerd for it. And then on top of that, you know, wanting to do the passion of it, um, um, the passion in terms of the athletic training aspect of what that guy did for me, you know, be a natural caregiver for people. Um, I knew I was in my wheelhouse and I always tell people this um, when you're when your your passions and your gifts align. That's when magic happens. And that's when it really happened for me. So got into the program, obviously, at athletic training. Um, after my second year, I didn't get in my first year, believe it or not. Um, my, my grades weren't, weren't good enough. I, I, I pledged in a fraternity, and I did more pledging than I did probably studying. <laughs> you in a divine nine? Huh? You in one of the divine nines? No doubt. Uh, yep. Let me see I'm if not. I could get you. Oh, you already told. I was, ah. <laughs> okay. You wouldn't, said, you wouldn't have said Omega, would you? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, you got the ball head to fit, to boot, right? <laughs> but nah, you don't come off as an Omega. No, no doubt. No, oh, doubt. no, no disrespect to my, to my Omega brothers out there. No doubt. We love them. At Vantage is the premier provider for non-traditional work, advocacy, and resources while pushing the boundaries of athletic training. Follow them on social media at The At Vantage and join their email list for an even deeper dive into all things non-traditional and access to more boundary-pushing content.
So you did more pledging than you did anything else. That my first year, right. And so then the second year I got into it and got into the program. And just like that, man, when I got into the program, just it just took off for me. Um, fell in love with it. Couldn't study enough. Love the human body. Love, love um, the ever-changing aspects of medicine. Medicine's constantly changing um, and, and it's evolving. Love the chase, constantly chasing medicine, chasing evolving of, of athletic training. And obviously working with athletes, working in sports, um, wanting to get people better from point A to point B. Love vulnerability of, of medicine and where it can take people and, and the relationships that you can develop. Love people. And really, man, just took off from there. And then at, between my junior and senior year, like a lot of us do in the athletic training profession, you know, I wanted to get some internships. And I was fortunate to get the PFATS Ethnic Minority Scholarship and internship with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers between my junior and senior year of college. Gotcha. Wait, hang on. Yep. Yep, this, this is good. Keep going. Like, okay. we'll, we'll, I'll keep moderating the flow. Um, yeah. whenever if I get, we need to if I get in. too in depth, let me know. We can move. No, that's, this is good. Keep going. I just want to, I want to, I want to just detail some things real quick. Um, Adam, you had a question. Adam had a question about the uh, athletic training education experience. Yeah. So how many, uh, black athletic training students did you experience during your time at West Virginia? Yeah, so I was the only one, and there was one more in the master's program at that time. Actually, and there was two of us that came in you know, as a prospective student, um, but the one didn't make it and didn't get in the program. So I was the only one in the, um, in the program, and there was one master's student. How many, how many students were in the program total? Probably per year, probably about 15 they would accept. So about 15 of us, no more than 15, so between 10 and 15. Got it, okay. So, so coming from a, um, a place that is more ethnically diverse, like Delaware, no. I'm thinking about this because I did some rotations in rural North Carolina and have been really close to West Virginia. So I, I understand the difference in just the West Coast and, and I'm white, right? But um, what was your experience, you know, or, or how did, what was the process like? Was it culture shock to you to be one of the only black athletic training students in West Virginia at, at that period of time? Um, you know, it, it was, and it wasn't. Um, I, I recognize I was the only minority in that program. It's not too many times that I'm walking in and rec and feel that and know that, um, you know, and, and it's weird. I, and, and I'm going to take it back one, one step. Well, let me say this too, even at the school, probably more, um, and you're talking about a five to ten percent uh, minority at Westford University, very small, but a very small pocket and a very small uh, group of us. We we really created our own ecosystem. Mm -hmm. You talking about the overall? The five percent was like the overall student population at the overall, school. Overall, and so to answer your question, Adam, that's where I live. That's where I hub that a lot. You know, makes sense. And so the little time when I was in school, I mean, obviously in the athletic training program, I recognized that, but I didn't feel like this lack thereof because as soon as I left class, I'm with, with the homies. I'm with the homies. Yeah. And so, so it did. Were y'all in the quad? Did y'all hang out at the, in the quad? Quad, student union, yeah. obviously all that stuff. So, so it really helped make that feeling of, wow, I'm in true isolation, not that bad. The other thing is this too. Um, and I, and I'm going to give my mom a lot of credit for this. Uh, Adam, I've never been uncomfortable in those in those encounters mm. and in those situations. And I'm going to tell you why. 
this is this is probably really and it's funny. I had another I did another um, interview not too long ago about Black History Month, and I, and I, it made me reflect. Why is it that I was never uncomfortable in a lot of potentially uncomfortable settings? Yeah. And I will say this: my mom, and my sister raised me like this. You know, as an African American growing up in this profession, or just in life, sorry, in life, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can hear, you can say, hey, you're gonna have a lot of adverse times. You're gonna have, a, you're gonna be in a lot of adversity. You gotta prepare. You're gonna have to, you know, do the extra. You're gonna, you're gonna be in situations. My, they didn't do that. You know what they told me? You can be whatever you want. You can do. You, you can climb as high as you want. They never painted this picture of adversity. Now, did my mom think as an African American you're going to have adverse times in life? Sure, she did. But what they did was they gave me the tools to be prepared for that. But they didn't. They what they didn't do is sell me you're going to bump into these adverse times. Yeah. And I think that was really critical for me because when I get in these situations, I had tools in my toolbox to handle, but I didn't walk into it like, whoa, this is adverse, you know. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with my upbringing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That make that makes perfect sense. Um, and I want to touch on two things that that you talked about, Reggie. So you talked about your your story, how you got interested in athletic training, right? Yeah. And so you know us as at last, we're looking to to, di- to help diversify, right? Athletic training, not just as a podcast, but but as a an entire initiative. Yeah. And so that's that's the importance that we see of getting athletic trainers in these inner city high schools middle schools, community centers to be able to talk to to these babes, right? To these these kids so that they have an understanding and and that same aha moment that you had, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I've experienced it in my own through the different, you know, high schools that I've been able to work at across North Las Vegas and um, you know, here here in LA County in California, is man, it's it can be over like un or can be overstated how how impactful it is just for them to have early access to, to athletic training and understanding that you know it's a possibility out there for you to go into a profession that has to do with medicine and and athletics right um and then also how you talked about you know your mother was was obviously a great woman to be able to make you feel like that right where you were never uncomfortable in a situation and my mother did the same thing right she shipped me and my brother off to like summer camps where we were the only two black kids yeah. you know at, at this summer camp in like the mountains right um and and so learning to be fine in those un- uncomfortable situations at an early age uh and so that's an, another important thing that that athletic trainers who are working in you know especially secondary school setting and, and working in these communities is helping these kids understand like it's okay to feel uncomfortable and and get them to to kind of relish in it, um, because you know I've experienced that, you know a lot of these kids they are not comfortable. Like I, I remember having a conversation, you know, with one of my students. We, I took him to Disneyland, and he like first time in Disneyland was not comfortable being at Disneyland. You know what I mean? Just yeah. in a diverse group of people because he's used to just being stuck at home. Yeah. And so yeah, man, it's it's that's important. Yeah, that's big. That's powerful. Reggie, let's go back to the education real quick. And then I want us to, you know, then we'll pivot into, you know, post-education and, you know, professional life too. But talk a little bit, talk to us a little bit about your awareness of being one of two black people in the education program. Like, tell us about your experience of learning or you know, at this point in time, it sounds like you weren't going to school just to go to school. Now you were locked in and learning. Right. Yeah. But talk to us about just whatever those experiences were like 
through the lens of being a black man, right? Maybe, obviously, there's a lot of things that are that are you are experiencing that are just like your other classmates. But then we, you know, but then there's going to be a different tint to some things too because of who you are specifically as a black man. So, could you talk about that experience with that lens for us? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, being being obviously one of the one like I said, one of two to only you know African American athletic training into uh, students at Westford University, I could feel naturally the culture differences of people kind of wondering or. Or you could feel it's this feeling base of I wonder what it's like. I wonder what it is. I wonder you can. There's just a lot of questions that I could feel when I'm around a lot of people. And as I as I make people comfortable, I can tell they get more comfortable. Where it's like being black. I wonder. Yeah. If, is there a stereotype behind it? Yeah. Is it a? Is Give a us wonder? some examples. Give us some examples of what those wonderings were. Exactly. So like um like uh I mean gosh it's so long I'm trying to think because I, I can feel it but I can't give it a specific but based what I will say this um I found myself in those moments taking advantage of those and trying to educate. And what I mean by that is like what I did was I'm like look I can feel I can't get specific based, but I could feel I could I can remember feeling stigmas about yeah. me being there. Like, I or what like, was the feelings? What was the emotions that the you feeling felt? Feelings is like like almost like, yeah, I wonder how Reggie feels about that. Or yeah, should we say that? Like it's like it's all and I'm like, y'all, I'm like, it's almost like y'all act like I'm not in the room, like I'm right here. Yeah. And I'm like, and so what I used to tell myself, I'm like, so what I did was, and it's funny, I still use this this today, and I and I'm love that you're you're making me think about this a little bit because I run my athletic training room like this. I want to create a space yeah. of safety. There you go. Right? I want to create a place of safety because I think where there's safety, vulnerability happens. And when there's vulnerability, that's where change can happen. So what I would do is like this. Give me an example. I could feel something going on in the room, people talking about that. I'm like, so I can either say something like, yeah, you know, you know, us, you know, us black folk, when we do this, we did it. And like, and they, and they, I'm like, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's, let's be about it. like. And I would, and I'll create this environment that if you talk about it enough, Huge. they get comfortable. Yeah. But and, and some people, will say, and I think a lot of African Americans will say, "Well, I don't want these. I don't want any. Um, you know, we call it non-African Americans not to be comfortable." It's no. I want you to be comfortable. I want you to be able to ask me these vulnerable questions because we're not going to be able to make advancements and change unless we do that. Mm-hmm. So I created an environment of safety by self you know, self-talking or talking about myself or creating that environment. Yeah. And then what happened, reality of it is, is I had some friends that can come up to me and say, well, Reg, how do you feel? Um, is it okay if I ask you a question? How do you feel just being African-American about X, Y, and Z? Yep. And I, I would love that. It gives me an opportunity to, to, to help and educate. So that's kind of the feelings and what I felt. And I use that as an op. And I do that to this day so in our athletic training room, how we deal with it. Such a high level of emotional intelligence, you know, um, yep. right. Like, and, and, you know, the other thought that I think is like, you can't heal what you can't, you can't heal what's not revealed. Right. So you start talking about some of these things, right. Then that gives you an opportunity to, to address them. So create a safe place, man, you know? Yeah. Athletic trainers. What if you could do more for your career, for your patients, for yourself, The Indiana State Doctorate of Athletic Training Program can help you get there. You will learn the skills to practice at the top of your scope and show your value in healthcare. Interested? 
go to www.indstate.edu forward slash DAT for more information or to apply today. Let's pause on this point um, in the context of healthcare and treating athletes. We have a larger majority of white athletic trainers. And when you're caring for a football team that's predominantly black and you don't have the experiences and the emotional intelligence that Reggie has, the level of care is going to be really, really different because as a white athletic trainer amongst all these athletes, making them feel comfortable is probably not on people's radar and, ha- and probably hard for them to do. And so I bet Reggie has seen bad examples. Of- <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure. Um, so I think that's really important that Reggie can bring that to an environment of healthcare. And that's not to say that if you have a, a, a team that is, you know, 90% black, then all the healthcare providers need to be black. However, Reggie's bringing this element to the care of his athletes that is probably not happening with other teams that don't have a diverse staff. Yep. I shouldn't even say probably. It's not happening. It doesn't happen. We can agree on that, right? So Reggie, like, t- tell us about the time, a time where you see, or just even from your own experience or from what you maybe see with players that you've interacted with or other staff where this emotional intelligence from a, a, a person that from someone who's not a person of color might have some struggles or some issues connecting with their their players that are people of color or staff. Absolutely. Um, I think I think it goes two ways that that, you know, a person of color that might be obviously somebody that's not in the same race and even some of the age dis- the, um, discrepancies too um, see it a lot, you know, and and what happens is you're exactly right. What, what Adam's saying is that there's an instant. I don't know if I trust you and what you're saying right now. When you're talking about when you're talking about trying to deliver, um, you know, a, you know, a healthcare a diagnosis, a treatment um, happened a lot in my experience over 20 years in NFL. I've seen a lot with doctors, right? You have somebody that's not of color of a doctor that's sitting down with a player, and they get done, and the player and the um, the doctor will leave, and the player come and said, "Red, bro, I, I just being honest with you, man. I don't trust. I don't know if I trust. I'm not comfortable." Can and they talk about cutting my body open and yeah, I cut my body. Can you explain that to me a little bit more, man? Like the way he was saying things, man, I just don't trust like your reds. You got to take care of me on this. And I'm like, I got you. Let me explain stuff. And, and so that, that is relevant and that does happen. And, and so what, once going back to Adam in terms of solution to that, obviously, can you diversify your staff, stuff like that? We're very fortunate, have a very diverse staff with the um, LA Rams. But yeah, that 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 obviously helps. There's instant, instant gratitude on uh, Instagram. So instant buying. And when you're saying when you're the same, uh, same race as, uh, as another person, I get that. But that's not reality. And what we need to do is once again, create a safe place. And I do that by talking to my staff, educating my staff, and also educating the players. I mean, we do have a, we literally have a barbershop light in our training room and I call it the barbershop. And I really do is because you think about in a barbershop, there's a lot of vulnerability. There's no, there's no um, politically. And specifically black barbershops. Correct. But I would, I would say, I would, I definitely would say, I, I you know, I, I ain't been into too many other barbershops to be fair. Yeah. But I, I guess I would imagine that there's still a component of that safety and vulnerability at, you know, super cut, super clips or, you know, Adam, you know, actually, we can't ask Adam because Adam go get his hair cut at black barbershops. But, I've, but, but I've had I've had barbers that were Latino and, and uh, 
So yeah, you're right. The barbershop, if it's a true barbershop, no matter no matter what the ethnicity, although I've never been to a technically white barbershop, but yeah. Yeah, you're right. The barbershop is a safe space and people can talk and be vulnerable and right. um and sometimes it will sway to conspiracy theories, All kinds but of stuff. but yep. yeah. It's safe. I always I always say in a barbershop, but you don't you don't have uh you don't have politically correct lines, you have respect lines. Hey. That's that's like, hey, we want to respect here, but you gotta be careful with the politically correct lines. I don't want politically correct lines, right? Because that's that's not vulnerable. So I always say that. But I really preach that in the training room. And so what happens is when these guys come in the training room, our athletic trainers that are not that are that are not of color, our our football players that are of color, our our players that are not of color in football, it is a safe place. And I'm telling you, when you create that environment and you push that and you sell that. People start seeing things on their minds, but man, it affects change. If it affects comfort, yeah. um, it affects blend. And and what I see in turn of that is better healthcare for our athletes because now I have culture, you know, uh, a non-white, I'm sorry, a non a non-colored, you know, athletic trainer working with a color, a person of color and athletic training that that they're just working great together because this is a safety and a vulnerability there. That's real. Man, Major. P- not politically correct, but respect. That's man, and that's that. That's what we are missing in our society overall, right? People aren't. People are just out here being disrespectful, yeah, to one another. Yeah. All right, so graduate, get certified. Obviously, we we know where you land. Yep. Um, but I, there's a gap, right? I wanted you to talk to us about about the gap in this this timeline that we've kind of constructed here. So, you obviously successfully complete your program, which, by the way. Was that in, did you go intern? Was that internship route or was that accredited accredited, accredited program route? Okay, so you finish, you get certified. Yep. Talk to us about that. Yep. So get certified, and I'm about to go to physical therapy school. Um, I'm going to go down to FIU. We um, almost lost one, y'all. Yeah, I was about to go to physical therapy school, and um, and then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers called me back and said, "Hey, we want you to do a seasonal." internship the full season internship that we all know about after i did my summer between my junior and senior year so i'm like man okay this is a good opportunity to go to pt school so i got my pt school deferred for a year i actually called him up and said, oh yeah do this we don't have to reapply you can come back next year go down to tampa do that for a year okay i'm about to go back to pt school and the carolina panthers had a job opening and the head of the trainer that night at that time knew the head of the trainer at Tampa Bay Buccaneers calls down there. Hey, um, I got a resume from a guy that was an intern with you a couple of years ago that I really and I'm interested in being for a full time job. What do you think? And at this at that at that time, talked to Sheldon, the head of the trainer with Tampa. He was like, Hey, guy was good, did a great job, but I have a guy here now that you need to hire. The guy you need to hire is here now, and that was me. Um, so he put in a great, great plug for me, um, which that's a whole nother story right there. Right. You network. Know, yeah. Yep. Hey. We talk about network gaps in one of our episodes. Right. No. And, and I always tell my, uh, you know, don't burn any bridge and I don't care if you like it or not, but you want to leave a, leave a, um, you know, every day's interview. We talk might about be your escape route. Yep. I just had that picture, right? You might not like the bridge, but don't burn it. Cause that might be the bridge you got to get out of Dodge on, huh? Facts. <laughs> any profession, any profession, right? I mean, if you get out after the training, I mean, I got people now where people will call me or people that were athletic training interns with me that are 
or call me about working in jobs and business. Right. You know, tell me about the person. So don't ever burn any bridge. Yeah. So anyway, got the got the full-time job. So interview, get the full-time job at Carolina. And here you go. And now my career is starting because I'm a full-time in the NFL. And you kind of grind from there a little bit. I just have to write that down. Don't burn no bridges or you're going to be stranded. Bridge, um, go ahead. Right now, I think I calculated there's maybe 10 black athletic trainers that are in a head position or a director position within the NFL. And there's 32 teams, right? Yep. So that's roughly like 30% of the staff in, in a leadership position in the NFL. Mm-hmm. That seems really good in comparison to kind of society, our bigger picture of athletic training and sports medicine. Yep. Um, and I think you alluded to maybe one of the reasons, which is um, one of the pipelines that we've talked about in the past. But do you want to share a little bit about that? And Absolutely. And that's and that's exactly right. When we're talking about trying to create diversity in different spaces, um, it, it absolutely starts with pipeline, right? Pipeline. People talk, ask me all the time, how do you know about I mean, I looked up to Alan Iverson. That's who I wanted to be. So it's creating pipelines. How do you create pipelines? First of all, it segues how you can get people in and exposure to the profession with what Kristen was saying earlier, which I love. But with PFAS truly developing the ethnic minority scholarship was an unbelievable pipeline change for the NFL and athletic training profession in the NFL. And Ronnie Barnes, who's an African-American at New York Giants, who's the VP of medical services there, who's probably the Don or the GOAT Jeez. of athletic training in the NFL. I mean, he was the first African-American head athletic trainer in the NFL in the 1980s. He created this through PFATS. And it absolutely shows you how a pipeline segue has worked because yeah. not only am I a member, right, of a, but I can assure you that those nine that you're talking about outside of Ronnie Barnes probably were past right. And we looked at that data. And on top of that, we got 158 members now as professional football athletic trainers. Ed. 10 in the, 10 is uh, in the, um, uh, obviously, positions. But when you look across, when you look across the 158 and look at assistants, the number of, of people of color in the athletic training profession has almost quadrupled within the NFL. In the NFL since this has happened. Wow. Why? Created the pipeline. Yep. And because of that, Adam, now when you create that pipeline, now you have more opportunities for people of color to get to the top. Right. Qualified. Like, you know, I look at the Rooney rule. I'm not a big fan of the Rooney rule, right? Like the Rooney rule is very top down driven. Let's talk a little bit about the Rooney rule for so us. The, the Rooney rule obviously is the Rooney rule, as you guys know, like to head coaches, that is mandatory that you do you have to interview one minority candidate for the head coaching job. And I get it. It's starting to stimulate and it's trying to get get people an opportunity. But the thing about it is it's not so much of, hey, we want to make sure because what happens is what the Rooney rule is, is, OK, I interview a minority check. Right. Hey. Performative. Mm hmm. I, I did that. It's not that. To me, it's creating more prospects. And let me get the job because I earned the job. Let me get the job because you 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 see my work and you want me, right? We won't we but but you need more candidate pools of minorities. And so same thing with I think the athletic training profession and PFAS, it really showed that we created a more of a pipeline. Because we created a more pipeline, we have more candidates, more candidates cream rise to the top, had the opportunity. Now you see 30% versus go back into the 90s when it was 2%. That's big time. Not that we said, hey, we got we to gotta interview more minorities and get them more head jobs. No, we just created a more candidate pool 
and more opportunity for those to rise. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like yeah. our numbers, hundred percent, the numbers of athletic of athletic trainers as a whole is a, is what the NFL used to be, right? And so, man, you know, one of our initiatives, we're just trying to boost that number, that percent. What was it? Last time we checked, it was like. 3%. Yeah, tiny bit higher than and 3 so we're just trying to roughly, you know, more or less. When we're like, let's get it up to 5%. But, dude, 30%. Like, that's that's gorgeous. And it goes back that's to, gorgeous. And when I go back to Bates, as I would look at it, right, it's going back to is, is if you go to a school right now in an accredited athletic training program, how many minorities are in that program? Right. And, and I'm still, those numbers are low. And so until we get this pipeline figured out of how to say, you know, and, you know, how do we get more inspired young people of color to go into the field after the training? We're not, are not I mean, if that's where it starts. It's about pipeline. And the reality of it is, this is we, the, let's keep it real. We're going to be vulnerable here. Huge, big difference in minorities, right? Athletes playing in sports versus going in athletic training, right? So like, yep. I don't know how many times that I talked to, even up in the NFL, I talked to players. I would have went in athletic training if I didn't have sports. Mm. Division one athlete. I want to do athletic. I would have done sports medicine, but I was a division one scholarship, yep. you know, and that, that you know, yeah. and then what happened, a lot of these guys don't, a lot of these guys don't make it to the NFL. So I did four years of division one football. I played baseball at Cal State Fullerton four years. I didn't get drafted. Now what do I do? Do I go back and get my athletic training degree? Probably not. And a lot of times you, you miss out on a lot of people that have interest and so I think that's a space. And I think the other space where I've been really pushing hard is really is inspiring by showing that, you know, where I think Kristen's doing a lot too, is trying to show a lot of people of color minorities that this profession does exist because the awareness is not there. MedBridge provides evidence-based courses, unlimited CEUs, home exercise programs featuring 600 plus exercises and much more. Use promo code THEADVANTAGE, that is T-H-E-A-T-V-A-N-T-A-G-E to get an annual MedBridge subscription for as low as $200. Yeah, so you talk about, we know pipelines exist because they it's used not just for good. It's used for bad too, right? We've talked, we, you know, we, when we had the opportunity to talk to your PFAS colleagues, you know, and give the presentation about At Last as an initiative. So, you know, just to be clear, this is the At Last podcast, but there's also the At Last, like, nonprofit organization that we're starting so we can mobilize on some of these things and address things. But one of one of our, so education is big for us, Our, our for At Last, education, um, community engagement, and a part of the research, right, those are the three arms, but a part of the community engagement piece that we kind of had thought through is like, well, look, since we know this pipeline system stuff works really well on the positive side, which you talked a lot about right now, it's been in sports forever, right? You, when you, coaches and all of that, they have their pipelines where they go and tap into their talent. But so we see it there too, but we also see it in the prison system, mm. right? There's the school to prison pipeline, right? It's a legitimate thing. So we said, look, let's turn that thing around and get the school to athletic training pipeline. Let's the school to sports medicine pipeline. So even before the college scene, we're trying like, you know, you know, Kristen's at the secondary school, Dr. Ross at the secondary school. But we're like, look, man, we actually need to go. Well, when does the pipeline start for the kids that are going to prison? Young. Third grade. So, all right, well, that's where we need to start, yeah. you know? Okay. So I'm, I'm glad you really touched on that and the importance uh, of the pipeline. I got a couple other questions here to kind of 
get us keep us moving down the tracks. Um, why do people fail at doing what you do, Reggie? Hmm. At the level that you do it, why do people fail at doing what you do? Two things. I, first, I, once again, I'll just going right off the top of my dome when I hear when I hear that question. Two things that come to mind. Yeah, beautiful. Take your time. You can't. Um, first thing I thought is you, you can't fake this business. Okay, um, and what I mean by that is it's twofold. Um, you have to be competent. Okay, you have to be competent. We are we're in a medical profession, and you got to have good outcomes, and you got to know what you're doing. Um, no doubt about it. Um, but the other piece to that, I call it IQ and EQ. IQ is the tactical. It's what we do. You got to be competent. Um, you got to be able to talk to these guys and really break things down. But it's the EQ to believe it or not, Batesy, that Bates, sorry, Batesy, I knew one of my- uh, I love it. Levels. I was like, oh, I, I got, I graduated. I'm not yeah. just Bates no more, I'm Batesy. Yeah, the guy, we had a guy on a football team, I just call him Batesy all the time. He's like, yeah. Bates. But, um, yep. but um, Batesy, the other thing is the EQ side of this thing. And honestly, I see more people get eliminated in this profession from the EQ side of things than their tactical or their skill set and competency side. And what- So the lack of EQ, go ahead. Lack of EQ in the profession of athletic training. What do I mean by EQ? It is the delivery. It is our bedside manners. It is being a natural caregiver. It is understanding and taking the time to make sure that we're doing everything in our position to make sure these people feel like we're caring for them. And it's funny, we get so caught up in the mechanics of athletic training and not understanding that this is that we're dealing with human beings. It's relationship driven, it's caregiving driven, it's vulnerability, um, it's, it's, it's establishing that. I tell people all the time, I establish a relationship with my patients before their patients. I don't, I don't use athletic training to create relationships with them, i.e. an injury. Yeah. I do relations with them because I care about them as a person. Because you see them walking down the hall. Because I see them walking down the hall. And they're just not a number. They're just not a, another student athlete. They're just not a... And I will say this. If you want to make it in this business, you need to have a gift of caregiving. Mm. You got to want to take care of people. And if you don't, it will expose you um, over time, or you better get that gift and figure that out, which I will say, can you gain that <laughs> in terms of a skill set? Um, because that really exposes people. So that's, that's, I think, a big miss that you get in this business. So you better put that on your Christmas list, y'all. If you if you are in this business and you don't have the gift of caregiving, that's that should be on your birthday wish list. That should be on your Christmas gift wish list, right? That resonates so deeply with me, Reggie. I, I totally vibe with that because you see some very competent, brilliant practitioners yeah. in athletic training and beyond, right? Yep. I'm sure Adam sees doctors and physicians and surgeons, Kristen sees educators that are very competent, right? But because they lack that EQ mm -hmm. and or because they lack, they don't have the gift of caregiving, it's just like, man. Yes. And if you can talk to your athletes and your patients and see the difference between those two athletic trainers, one that is a caregiver and one that's not, um, or sorry, the EQ is probably not as strong. I bet they, I bet the tactical, the IQ care is completely different on how they view that. Mm. 
you can take somebody that's elitely smart and know their stuff, but because of the EQ lacks there, they don't trust, they don't feel like they're getting quality care. Um, and, and that's amazing. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Adam and his profession can see that when you look at patient outcomes and look at patient, um, all the reviews they do in terms of their patient satisfaction rates. I bet more of it's based on the EQ side than the IQ side. And I believe it or not, I do think a lot of people also get fired or don't make it in this profession. And I'm going to say this last piece. Caregiving is very exhausting and takes a lot of time. It Caring for people is not easy. Think about that. Love it me. is very other-centered, pouring out of profession. Yep. You didn't say caring for injuries or caring for a rehab. You said caring for, for people. people. And that is an exhausting, big task for us. And that's why if you don't have that gift or it's not natural for you, you can run out of gas. You know, and if you don't have that state and that heart of caregiving, it will expose you and people don't feel Care for like it. they're getting quality care. Yeah, that's- yep. I actually actually have an evidence-based example for what you're talking about, Reggie. There, um, people have studied surgical outcomes and um, malpractice and, and if, uh, you know, something goes wrong. And the providers that do not get lawsuits against them, their patients just like them, literally. Yep. So you, something can, like, you can have a bad outcome and no lawsuit will happen because the patient felt cared for. Yep. And, and that's, that's, there, there's literature on that. So you're just describing what is kind of common. It should be common sense, at least. It's not common sense. It should be common sense um, to treating patients, uh, treating them from you know, a biopsychosocial model. Mm-hmm. The, there's another thing we should touch upon, Reggie, which is kind of your emotional intelligence and leadership ability, because I've experienced you know, more of a relationship with some of your staff than, than with you. Yep, and me too. In particular, uh, Tyler Williams and John Hernandez. What's up, Tyler and John, if you're listening? Uh, yep. But you have chosen exceptional individuals to be on your staff and, and, and that also treat just others in that manner, and I'm sure their, their health care is that way. Maybe tell us about kind of your process in forming your team because you've done an exceptional job at that. Uh, great question. So number one, I think when it, it comes to forming a team, and I will say this first, I look at it probably in three, three prongs. First, you got to clean your house up first. You got to really know and evaluate what it is you need to do uh, with your department. If you ever become a head athletic trainer or whatever, or, and I would even say this, this model and this integrated performance model is coming alive right now. So even if that's what we do with the Rams is clean your house up first, do a SWOT analysis on what your department looks like. What are the weaknesses? What are the strengths? Okay. When you can do that. Reggie, let me, so in your role, do you oversee, cause this is a question I had, cause you talked about the, what I, what I think I understand is the high performance model integrated. So that means strength coaches, dietitians, sports psych, uh, who else? PTs, science, physical therapy, uh, got it. player engagement for us. So I oversee all those departments. So strength and conditioning, sports science, sports psych, player engagement, um, nutrition, and obviously, um, the sports medicine departments, what I oversee with the boss, HNIC, <laughs> if, you, if you know, you know, <laughs> Prodigy. and so, um, and so that over the model, but once you do a SWOT analysis on your department, it really allows you to know what your strengths, your weaknesses are. And then also to Adam, what it allows you to know is your roles and responsibilities for that department to dominate. And I think a lot of time when it comes to hiring, we go too far. We go right to hiring process. No. Look internally. What's our strengths and weaknesses? What do we need to get better at? 
And how does the roles and responsibilities fit those strengths and weaknesses? And if not, adjust those roles and responsibilities. Now I got the roles and responsibilities done. They're, bu they're buttoned up tight. This is what I need. Now that I know what I need, now you can dominate your hiring process. And now I can dominate my hiring process by this. Here's how you do a hiring process. You cast a wide net. I believe in contest mobility, not sponsor mobility. I think in athletic training, we do too much sponsor mobility. Wait, slow down, Reggie. Yeah. Say that part again. You believe in what? Contest mobility versus sponsor mobility. So I think in athletic training, we call up buddies and hire people, right? It's a small fraternity. Oh, I know somebody. Hey, you want this job? If I have a job opening tomorrow, I might have two buddies this today, one for it. I said, absolutely appreciate you. You will compete for this job. I will cast a wide net. I will search every rock and get the best candidates. And I want the best candidates to win the job. Okay. That's how we operate with the Rams. We'll always operate like that. And I do believe, by the way, when you do that, it creates better diversity, right? Yep. Cast the wide net, all types of people, males, females, people of color, cast a wide net. So then Adam, to answer your question, go to the next step. Once we go through the hiring process, a very robust hiring process, but it's really for me, I want to hire the person. I always say hire the person with capacity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very critical. Hire the person first. I think we get caught up. Once again, we just said, if I, you ask me a great question, Bates, what's the biggest problem when people get fired? It's their EQ. Well, why is it when we go to the hiring process, we hire the tactical. Thank you. Yeah. We, we, when we do the hiring process, we sit there and just ask them a whole bunch of tactical questions. Tell me about your rehabilitation yeah. skills. Tell me about research and development. Tell me about sports science and training loads and exertion, all these different things. But did you, did you interview the person? Mm -hmm. um, we hire the person first with capacity, go through that process. And then the last piece of that, once we got the right person, um, which I got a criteria for that. No ego, other center, caregiver. I can give you things that I want in a person. Yeah. You got the right person. The last piece is, do they fit the role and responsibility for them to be successful? That's the other thing. I had a person the other day I talked about that just left in the NFL. She's a phenomenal athletic trainer. She left. And we talked about it in reflection point. She said, Reggie, I didn't fit. And it's like, here it is, good department, good athletic trainer. Why did she get let go? Wasn't a fit. The philosophies, overarching things. So our onboarding process, Adam, um, I think in athletic training can be a lot better. And I really challenge ourselves to be elite at that. I challenge myself to be elite at that. And that's kind of the criteria I go down to. And I think it's really been fruitful because of that. Jules. Man, I, I want to expand that too, man. I think, I think our onboarding process not even just for in the professional setting but I, it makes me wonder what our if our onboarding process for the education programs can yeah. can benefit from this too right because Facts. what are the i don't yeah. know this for sure but i guess it's following suit with business culture and everybody else to professional settings but my guess is that it's like hey we want to make sure we're accepting the best students so that when they finish we have we could keep our first time pass rates high Right. And then they say, OK, well, what's going to help us with that? The kids that are scoring the highest marks and the kids who are and we're talking about kids potentially coming out of high school, I guess. And now from undergrad programs, um, who has the highest GPA and who has the highest GRE and who has the right. Those are those same IQ based things or those, you know, whatever. And 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 these people, they suck as people. Yeah. Likely. Yeah. 
And it makes me think. So I had a buddy. I had a buddy. He said one of the things he used to do is all of his interview candidates, they would go out to eat. And he knew this restaurant. So he would tell maybe I shouldn't be saying this because some of y'all might meet him. But anyway, he would tell the server ahead of time, be a jerk, get the order wrong, do all of these things for this person so that they can then see how this candidate reacts to this this human that's serving them their food. And then that helps them to interview that person part that you were talking about, Reggie. And I don't hear you saying that the competency stuff is not important because we know it is, but it seems like we have elevated it to a higher position than it needs to be to get to be a good healthcare provider. Absolutely. And if you think about it, here's the thing. I always say a human, I always say hire the right person with capacity, the tactical side or the IQ side, I can get better. I can help right. you get better there. I can, I can, I can get you involved in, in um, um, continuing education stuff. I can get you That's involved right. in teaching you and stuff like that. Yep. You, you kind of are who you are. Can I, can I, can I mold? Can we change people? Can we make people um, different? Absolutely. Not saying we can't, but probably a little harder to change. Yeah. Usually, usually you get to your twenties and stuff like that. You're pretty molded. And so people are natural caregivers. People are naturally humble. People are naturally, um, you know, other centers. I say these things come natural on people. And those are the people you want. And also those people get raised really quick on the capacity side. Yeah. When people are have more, when I say, I say people, uh, you know, you know, listen more than they talk and things of that nature. Those people grow fast on the tactical side. And then you get a diamond. And I really do think, you know, you're looking at Tyler, you're looking at John Hernandez, a lot of people on my staff when I first got here and no credit to me at all, but just young, hungry guys that are really, really good, um, good dudes that were hungry in the profession and they're, and they're rock stars now, you know? Yep. Sweat CBD. CBD has become increasingly popular for treatment of pain, anxiety, focus, sleep, and more. We've partnered with Sweat CBD, who delivers 100% natural, full-spectrum CBD oils, gummies, and lotion. Head over to Sweat CBD and use code ATVANTAGE, that's A-T-V-A-N-T-A-G-E, for 10% off at checkout. So look, we're going to go a bit longer. I'm going to ask one more question, and then I'm going to kind of fall back a little bit and, and let Chris and Adam um, uh, maybe time, chime in. And then, yeah, we'll open it up to, to some questions from the audience. Uh, maybe you can end on this for us, Reggie. Um, zooming out the lens of life, uh, whatever. But you So take this wherever you want. But just taking a 30,000-foot view of, of Reggie Scott's life, um, what do people often get wrong about you? Ooh. Oh, I love it. Deep question. What did they get wrong about me? Um, probably. I know it's a big one, so don't don't feel pressed to like. No, no. We could think about that for a second. Let it marinate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first thing that came to mind is taking my kindness for weakness. You know, um, um, I I am very. Um, I can be very firm, you know, I can, I can get there. Um, but, but I think, you know, but I don't, I don't know. Nah, I don't know if that's really accurate though. Cause people seem to respect and how, you know, operate and I kind of give, give our expectations. Okay. Strike one. You got two more, you got two more pitches. Yeah. <laughs> what people. God, that's tough. Uh, let me think. If it helps to conf- give some context for your profession, you know, 
or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Let me think. Let me think. That's a deep question. I can get, um, ask me the question one more time. I think I got to answer. Yeah. But yep. It's, it's way vulnerable. We undressing you here. I know it. <laughs> what do people often get wrong about you? You know what? I think people think I can be very vulnerable, you know, but I'm not. It is very hard for me to be vulnerable. Mm. And I say that by saying this, I think I can create a world. I, I mean, how much am I talking about this? I can create a, wor- a world of safety and vulnerability. I talk about vulnerability. I know how critical that is. I think that's where change happens. In our healthcare profession, players are at the most vulnerable state from a physical standpoint when they get hurt. So vulnerability is all around us. So I've learned to be that way. But I'm not, it's hard for me to be vulnerable. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard for everybody. Well, I got that wrong about you too, then. I mean, that's a good response. Yeah, Reg, Reg will keep it real with you. But like if you really if you start if you start cutting me right. these days, I'm <laughs> you know. Yeah. I have, I mean, put it this way. If you ask, here's a good thing. Those that know that know. Like my wife knows if you ask her, is, is Reggie vulnerable? Just say, no, he's not. <laughs> you know what I'm Good. saying? Yeah. You go to work, you go to work and say, oh God, Reggie's super vulnerable. Right. So, yeah, look, I mean, that, that's a good example of showing how you still can practice vulnerability and not completely feel that you've arrived in the mode of vulnerability, right? Yeah. Shout out to Brene Brown. She probably would be, she's, you know, she's that, she's a researcher who researches vulnerability and all that type of stuff. But, yeah. but I think that's good, man, because what it does is it helps us to still be good professionals. Cause Reggie, I'm, I got that wrong about you, right? Like I, I'm like, man, Reggie's, Reggie's got this, but you know, you better than me. And you're like, nah, Bates, like this, I've, I worked on this. Yes. So vulnerability is not something that we have to think just comes natural it is something that you can work on i mean and reggie's a great continuum of that. yeah it's, it's a continuum just like our conversation on um cultural competence right you never arrive you're never going to arrive at vulnerability destination yeah and yeah. and the more you practice honestly the better you will be at it but definitely a continuum beautiful all right so adam Kristen. If you guys want to kind of steer us in another way, I'm gonna fall back. I know Kristen has some some questions from some of our listeners too. So, h- however, we want to go from here. I'm, I'm gonna get one one question to Reggie in, and then we'll open it up. Sweet, Reggie. We just kind of want you to share with us kind of your initial thoughts when you know the Atlas team reached out to you, you know, for some conversation um, about you know helping our initiative. You know, you plugged us in with a lot of PFATS people. And just why did our um, our initiative resonate with you from the beginning? Yeah, um, two things. It was it's a need. It's very simple. It's a gap. We I mean, instantly when you when you pre- pre- presented that to me, I'm like, man, it resonated with me so quickly that gap. And um, honestly, too, man, um, kudos to you guys. I loved how prepared you guys were with it too. That that's special, man. Like. That shows the commitment and seriousness about it. Um, I don't, I'm a person, I want to be a part of things that are actionable to affect change, but has a process that will truly get there and are people that are committed to it. You know, we get fluff all the time, right? We, you know, we, we talk all the time and we need to get this better. Okay, what are you going to do about it? I'm a very solution-based person and I felt solution. I felt 
I felt detailed. I felt processed with you guys. And that really, really resonated with me. And I like the support you guys put with it in terms of the research and development side of things too. I really think that's important too, because that brings substance uh, with the push. Um, and so those are the things that really grab me. It's like, man, how can we help push this, um, these, young, these young cats alone that are trying to do something really powerful in our profession? And, um, and when I brought it to the PFAS executive committee, they were on fire for it, super excited about it. Um, and, and we're going to still obviously continue to work with you guys and push it. But they even felt the same thing when I sold it to them and when you guys presented it to them. So those are the things that came to mind when you guys presented that 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 resonated with me that, you know, the gap was there. But then the intention of detail and the process, what you guys are doing is awesome. Awesome. Kristen, get ready. Reggie, yeah, I mean, we felt that. We presented to a lot of people that we thought would be stakeholders and I can't remember if I emailed you or text you in the beginning, but like you responded in 10 seconds or something. Yeah. Right. And so that's a really, that's great affirmation because some people that we thought, you know, would get on board or support or even just like, Hey, let's have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Didn't even respond like just crickets. Yeah. So, so we appreciate, appreciate it. you, man. Thank you. Yeah, no. And I would challenge you guys is hold, hold us accountable because I do, I do. I mean, I know COVID, pump the brakes on a lot of this stuff. Um, but just in our last executive meeting last week, we talked about it again. That is on our docket under the PFAS Foundation. I mean, at last is there. It, we are talking about it. It's just, once again, getting this ball rolling, letting COVID obviously, you know, had to pump the brakes in, but uh, hold us accountable. We will help you guys with this. We're excited about it. That's what's up. Cool. All right, Chris. All right. So just the guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, just the guy. So, so the first question that we have, um, is I think a great one. So it's someone who obviously appears to be a new grad and they say as a newly certified uh, athletic trainer looking for a mentor, right? How do they find a mentor? Not just someone random to be there, but someone who will uh, actively pour into them and build them up uh, in the profession. And so I know I'll let Adam or Chris, I'll let you answer that because I think at last is, is uh, here to fill that, that void. State it one more time. Best as a new grad, how are the how can they find what are some things they can do to find a mentor, a mentor who is truly going to be there for them to help push them forward? Yeah, I I got a lot of thoughts. Uh, Bates, I'll let you go first. One one great solution I have is um. Well, I guess you're gonna go second. What <laughs> <laughs> great yeah. What great solution I have, or at least a starting point, is listen to our episode of the Network Gap. I think there's some great um jewels and and um just nuggets that people can can grab from that yep so there's a very actionable item go and do that the episode's there um one thing that i say stop focusing on your resume all the time and i think that ties in beautifully with what reggie talked about some moments ago when we would have so i'm a strength and conditioning coach as well for those who didn't know and when i worked in the university setting in my role as the head strength coach and you know creating the program there and all of that. The model that I had was that model that Reggie alluded to as well earlier as well. And it's not an uncommon model in the professional settings, in the Olympic settings where I'm at now. It's and it's what we it's so there's a bunch of different names for it, but the more common one is the high performance model. And so anyway, I'm bringing this up to say, so whether it was an athletic training student or 
if it was, you know, through an athletic training student through the athletic training education program because uh, I was served as a preceptor or whatever. So whether it was them coming through to do a rotation in the strength and conditioning facility or in the program, or if it was a strength and conditioning student who was interested, they would always come in trying to dazzle me or my my staff or even the athletes with that IQ stuff, mm. right? Um, even like the questions they would ask me, yo, like they would ask me, they were like, yeah. you are posturing yourself as though you are asking me a question and you're looking for an answer, but really you're just trying to showcase whatever competency you have. And I would just tell them a statement, more of a statement. Yeah. It was more of a statement. And I would just tell them straight up, you guys are well, like, well, far, like you guys are more well-versed in some of this stuff now because this stuff is changing a lot, but I'm going to talk to you about the stuff that's actually going to matter. Right. So for instance, it might be like modalities and they're telling us about telling me, Hey, so what's your experience with the megahertz adjustments and the da 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 da. And I'm like, I don't use that stuff. <laughs> So you sitting here, we just spent the last 30 minutes and you telling me about all this stuff. And it's like, it's not practical in certain settings, right? So I guess to answer the question, learn, you, it gets back to people skills, right? I don't think we can answer the question about how to go and find a mentor without addressing the issue of learning how to be a good human. I'm reading a book right now. Actually, I'm going to plug it. Um, it's called Choosing Civility. And the subtitle is the 25 rules of considerate conduct. And so I think if you want to, in, in terms of finding a mentor, start with trying to be very, like learn how to be civil with, with people who are um, in positions that you feel can speak to you beyond just showing you like what Reggie said, beyond just, you know, showing you how to tape a good ankle or how to get do a great assessment or a great rehab protocol or whatever because you can learn those things like you can youtube a lot of this stuff now yep right so yeah i think one piece of that too yeah um i think it's, and i love and it's going to really spin off what bait says um i think too is because especially in my position right now a lot of people you know i was on the edac mentor you know uh list uh when it first kind of came out for people and the reality of it is is in my job you know can i mentor 20 young student athletic trainers i'm not even gonna sit there and be, be realistic i can do that i can't right and so i would challenge people this is exactly what Bates said it's it's not about always having mentors within the same profession when one of my biggest mentors and he really didn't mentor me was in the students professions when i was in 2002 as a um, student athletic trainer as an intern it was tony dungy and Tony Dungy sit down with me and mentored me. I watched him that little time I was around him. Mm. He taught me quiet strength. He taught me how to, I watched how he treated people. Good. And so what I was mentorship is being present where your feet's at and seeing people that can inspire you where you're at. That's so good, um, Reggie. Versus, versus trying to reach, reach out to, um, you know, I want to reach out to Ronnie Barnes at Giants because I want to be a head athletic trainer in the NFL one day. And I'm going to, you know, no, there's somebody around that inspires you. I, I'm reading a book. I plug my book. Yeah. I'm reading this one called Talk Tools, um, Tools That Transform Leadership. Great book. But here's what it said this morning. I was reading it. It's so funny. It's about motivation versus inspiring. Motivation, people that motivate people is 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 creating something for somebody to, to react to. But inspiring people, the word inspire comes from inspire, which means breathe life. Mm, exactly. Good. Breathe life. people. So inspires 
that we all are, we breathe life into people. New, that's, that new CPR. <laughs> right. You, you need to be around inspirers. Finding inspirers around you, that's who you need to be mentors to you to help the ET. Let me say this one thing too, Reggie. Like, And you can be, here's the tips to those who are looking for mentors, because this is what I've done too. You don't have to be in direct contact with that person. Reggie said that he alluded to that, but I want to be very clear about that. A lot of my, I have a lot of, I have far more mentors through books, through podcasts, especially because of the age that we're in and information and how easy it is for us to access it. You're absolutely right, Reggie. Like we can be mentored by people without having a, an immediate conversation with them. Love that. Right. 100%. So read, you know, find that person that you like and that you respect and and consume their content Ooh. right read yes. their books regardless of if it's in your profession or not right like or in your wheelhouse like because then that'll help you get mentored by them that's good stuff love it what you got chris well i was just gonna say you can reach out to me i'm not saying i'm gonna be there for you every day but you can have direct access to chris it's what i'm it's it's, it's what i'm here for yep um so that's great you can get my contact information and uh yeah I am I am put on this earth uh, to serve others, and and I pride myself in my ability to mentor and things like that. So, like I said, I'm not going to be on the phone with you every day, but I'm here and available. You know, that's what I'm what I am here for. Wife and I, we say this, Chris. This this is probably what it is. We give people access to us, right? Yeah, and we have a capacity there too. But Kristen has a greater capacity in this area than than others of us, right? And that's good because mm. it. Yeah. So I want to be clear that we we don't we're not suggesting that seeking after that direct access is a bad thing, but it's not realistic, right? Everybody can like I would love for Reggie to mentor me, yeah, personally, but he can't do that. You know, I already know. Yeah. So I'm going to get it where I can. You know, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to invite him to be on my podcast. <laughs> Getting it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Kristen, Kristen, you're creating that. I mean, a part of your at last initiative was the mentoring component to it. And you're creating yep. a process, which I love. Right. You're, once again, I love the detail. You're creating a process that hopefully it's a process where we can extend those tentacles where we can touch more people and not feel the stress or burden on, you know, where it, Okay, the mentoring, our mentoring, you know, process where, I'll, you know what, I can plug you in with Reggie for this time frame for this. And now it is more achievable for me to be a true mentor. Here's, I think that's incredible. What I think what you guys are doing. One last thing there. Discipleship is key. That's the that's the magic sauce. Make And this is Reggie's done it. Reggie's doing it. I think Adam, Kristen and myself, like we are. So when you make disciples, you that's you extending your tentacles as well so look so for the person who's looking for the mentor if you can't get that person find someone who was mentored by them right find the disciples of that person and then see if you can hit yourself to that person and if not see if that person's discipled somebody and then hit yourself to that at some point you're probably not going to have to go down too many levels before you have access you know what i mean and and so there's another strategy that's another secret like that. Well, that was that was great discussion. I'm glad, Kristen, that you mistook my question when I said, "What do you got?" I, I was saying, "Do you have more questions?" But good good things came. Oh from no, it. that was it. <laughs> I love it. 
we've partnered with online-therapy.com, a complete counseling toolbox where you get all the support and tools you need to be happier based on cognitive behavioral therapy. Head to opportune.at slash online therapy to get started for free and enjoy 20% off your first month of therapy. Reggie, or we'll just come back to you, man. What Anything on the top of your dome or anything that you are feeling? What's the vibe and the energy that you got that you would want to share or talk about questions for us? Yeah, nah, I, I'll, I'll leave you with two. I'm going to leave with two thoughts, actually, that's been on my mind. One is um, super, super thankful for you guys. Um, it's really cool to see uh, what you guys are doing in the profession. I think it's such a need. Um, and honestly, you guys inspired me a lot in terms of what you're trying to create. Um, that's why I'm so invested in what you guys are doing. I want to take out the time that, you, you know, just to be a part of what you guys are doing. Thank you, man. That means love a lot. Love hearts. Love, uh, love your detailed and your process-driven uh, component to this. And um, and what I would, you know, what I would challenge you guys is, man, go get get to the finish line. Okay. I love, I, love, I love what Adam said too. This is going to continue also. Right? I do think this is something that always keeps going, but um, really appreciate you guys. The second thing I will say is for young, you know, athletic trainers out there, um, I will say, you know, athletic training is changing and, and you hit it a little bit on that basis. You know, this medical model is changing. Um, if you, if you want to be, you know, head athletic trainer one day. And obviously you can be that for sure, anywhere you want to be, but, you know, learning, I mean, we have, we have a huge, huge influx of merging sciences, mm-hmm. right? These sciences are merging through sports science, through strength and conditioning, through nutrition. Yep. We are merging sciences rapidly. Um, there's a lot of subspecialties you got, uh, and I'm getting more tactical now. We got a lot of, yeah, good. You know, we got a lot of all these, you know, soft tissue techniques. We got all these different types of rehab techniques. We got all these different types of sports science initiatives. Data. We know where data is at base. We talk about that in nauseum where we're going with this stuff. So you got all these emerging sciences, all these subspecialties. Um, we as athletic trainers, and I've talked to a lot of the NATA initiatives about this in terms of changing curriculums. But if you're a young athletic trainer out there, you can't be siloed and say, I'm just going to do sports medicine. Good. What I would tell you is, you do want to make do big things and great things, you got to start having a holistic approach to your curriculum and learning and go find it, go dig for it. But because um, I do think that's the future of athletic training. And I don't want anybody on this call not to think any differently that, hey, I might be in my program but I got to learn these other sciences because they're merging fast and time. I would say the next 10 to 15 years, it will be the standard. Yeah. I agree with that. hundred percent. Yeah. And so let's, let's end on this. Uh, one last question that we just got in. Uh, so someone said LA Ram stadium is in the heart of Inglewood. Inglewood. How are they reaching out to high schools in the area to expose them not only to athletic training and sports medicine, but hard work in making it out of the hood. They waiting for at last. Hey, no, no doubt. But <laughs> I will say this: um, one of the one of the big initiatives that I think, when it comes to uh, the LA Rams, that they did a really good job with. It. We just we just started a DNI council, a diversity and inclusion council, and they're really starting to look at a lot of initiatives that we can start doing to plant out in the community and do things like that. Um, the other thing is funny. I was just about to say that uh, someone already did it on on the um, on the chat was chat. Um, we connected with Team Team Hill. And Team Hill does a great job. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's Alex. <laughs> <laughs> she, must, she must be a Team Hill initiative or a part of. Yep. 
Athletic track. Oh, she, <laughs> she she is team here. She hey, we got a whole episode. Hey, hey, Reggie, if there's an episode that you need to listen to, for all of them, right? But she she got a whole episode. Uh Dr. Merriman. She's the she's yeah. the head athletic trainer for Dorsey High School. Yeah, I met you, haven't I? Yeah, probably. I yeah, yep, I did. I did. Okay, cool. So Team Hill. Love Team Hill. Let me put a plug out to Team Hill. Shout out to Team Hill. Um uh, now, nah, but they yeah. do a great job. And Dr. Shields, obviously, um, African American orthopedic surgeon, Don back in the day, done a great job of starting this and really giving back to the community. So um And Rams history. And Rams, absolutely. Um and so old school Rams. Old school Rams. So we're really trying to continue to connect and do things with them. We did obviously before COVID, we had a really great um uh what was that? She probably can't talk, but I can't remember the um the uh the big conference we did down there in uh in Inglewood two years ago. What was it, Alex? Um, a couple of years ago, the Rams and Chargers um, donated money to the team of funders that we were talking about, Reggie. What was the event down there? It was really cool. Oh, the sports medicine camp, the, the um, team to win sports medicine camp, which I am a product of and what got me into athletic training. It was my first camp at 16 with team to win and Dr. Fader. Um, and then that's where we met with uh, Damon and y'all donated to team to win and team heal. Yeah, so we donated money to them to help push that. But the camp was awesome. Diverse group of people, a lot of people of color um, and young athletic trainers. And it was so cool to speak, not young, but young students that potentially inspiring athletic trainers. It was just once again, that exposure, like Kristen always talks about to the youth and Bates, you talk about these were young, um, really young kids. It was really cool. And so trying to do that and be more of that is, is definitely an initiative of, of mine and ours. And we're going to keep doing that. Awesome. Reggie, man. We're indebted to you, brother. We appreciate you awesome. spending some time on a Saturday with us, man. Yeah, nah, it's uh, man. I appreciate you guys. It was uh, it was awesome, and uh, and I think it's a great thing that you guys are doing. Oh, you know what? So Rams, say say what's up to DJ Mosky for me when you get a chance. He's the DJ of the Rams Stadium. So if you oh, you gotta sit way up he a, top. There. He a good brother, man. Yeah, DJ Mosky. Shout out to DJ oh. Mosky. <laughs> Yeah, we grew up. We met him, but I see him up there. I'm on the sideline. I see him up there. He be grooving on the winning twos. Yeah, yeah, we've crossed a few circles, and I, we were all excited to celebrate him when he got that when he got that gig. So, uh, good dude to connect with if you have spare time, which I know that's probably unlikely. Yeah. Look at that hoodie, man. I need that hoodie. It's coming your way. Yeah, we're getting for the whole squad, bro. We're getting for your staff. Yeah, it's fresh. Yeah, no doubt. Tell me, man. We'll, 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 we'll buy them too, man. We got to help the the at last push, man. Just let me know. We'll get them. We'll get it done. Get those out ASAP. Um, hey, Adam and Kristen, I took the charge, man, and I think it was a good word for us from Reggie to get to the finish line. That was uh, we needed that, Coach. Thanks for coaching us up on that big time. Appreciate you guys, man. Great job. Keep rolling. Yes. Nice.